Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Atlanta is Kara Helberger. Kara is Privacy Compliance and Digital Accessibility Team Leader and the Managing Director of Octillo Law. And today we're going to be talking about recent enforcement actions, particularly in the data area. Uh, first, Kara, thank you for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Adam, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Our pleasure having you. Now, you recently authored an article for Compliance Today uh, about trends in recent enforcement actions. Let's start big picture. What overall trends do you see on the federal and state level? So big, big picture, Adam, what we're seeing is state attorney generals are becoming a little more active in this area. Since 2003, we've really seen a lot more out of OCR, but over the last couple of years, we're seeing these state AGs becoming more active, resulting in massive you know, financial penalties for covered entities and business associates. Um, under the High Tech Act, states may bring an enforcement action on behalf of their residents for HIPAA violations. So as we'll discuss throughout you know, the course of this conversation, this is gonna really require a more substantive look inward for business associates and covered entities on what their data security and privacy infrastructure looks like to make sure we're checking the boxes for the compliance areas that we're kind of seeing as part of these enforcement trends. Obviously, as we all know, we've been in a COVID landscape for the last two, two and a half years. So that's really changed the conversation in terms of the rules have been relaxed a bit for say telemedicine. There's increased data collection on behalf of um, covered entities and business associates. So the landscape has certainly changed in that sense. Now, of course, there's a variety of state laws that are relevant to this conversation. It's important to look at those, but there's a couple of states that we've seen kind of increased activity, um, specifically New Jersey, Illinois, Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts. And so in light of that, we do really want to take stock and make sure both from a federal and a state perspective that we've evaluated our compliance programs. And of course, we know this is not a one and done initiative. This is more of a holistic iterative process as these regulations and these trends do change on a very regular basis. Well, and adding to the complexity of that is that so much data privacy law is state by state in this country. It adds a lot more difficulty there. And that, by the way, applies both for healthcare and non-healthcare entities as well. I mean, we're all familiar with the California Consumer Privacy Act. Now, what should compliance teams be thinking about when it comes to data governance, given the current landscape? Yeah, I think it's a really great question and one that I'm having daily with our clients, both in the healthcare space and in the broader um, industries. Um, this is just an area that really operationalized and institutionalizing that data governance infrastructure is really critical for the success of a compliance program. Um, again, these are not one and done initiatives. This is an organic conversation that needs to continue to happen kind of with key stakeholders that are at the table from a multitude of departments and parts of an organization. So we know, of course, that um, covered entities and business associates are required under HIPAA to designate a security officer who is really responsible for kind of overseeing that larger um, organizational compliance program. But in response to some of these threats, what we're seeing, Adam, is that companies are kind of in uh, healthcare organizations are really locking down on cybersecurity protections. Obviously the threat landscape is ever changing, uh, but the problem is we do need to balance that landscape that you mentioned a moment ago with really that data portability and transparency. And as we've seen out of OCR, there's this increasing right of access that continues to be a 
priority for OCR. So being aware of kind of balancing those competing interests is really, really important. But from a governance standpoint, one area that we just cannot um, forget is really the importance of understanding roles and responsibilities. Who's doing what as part of our infrastructure, designating the proper um, individuals within the organization who are responsible for processing state right to access requests. Documentation is another kind of important area here. We continue to see the importance of updating our policies and procedures. It's always a focus of OCR to have proper policies and procedures. And if we do find ourselves in a resolution agreement situation, violators might have to submit those policies and procedures to OCRs for approval. So again, it's important to make sure that the organization has a cadence in place for those annual reviews um, and approvals of policies. Again, COVID, going back to that, you know, things have changed from the workforce standpoint. So making sure that we've updated our policies to account for those changes is extremely important. Um, we, of course, we have also distributed workforce in certain situations in the healthcare space, especially some are working more of a hybrid than they were previously. So again, reflecting that in the policies and procedures is extremely important. Um, identifying the proper resources as well. This is another area that we've seen, uh, particularly with state enforcement actions um, as they relate to whether data security and privacy program is properly um, funded, proper resources and proper kind of um, attention from the organization based on the size of the organization. So that's an important one. We're seeing a lot of conversation around that. And then the proper authorities internally, the CISO versus the privacy officer and the security officer, again, going back to roles and responsibilities, understanding the delineation of those roles and responsibilities and making sure that they're working properly is extremely important. And then for my space, you know, incident response, again, continues to be a hot topic. So really making sure that we have our incident response plan in place, that we're doing regular, at least annual testings of that um, incident response plan is really key from a governance standpoint to make sure that we have our uh, T's crossed and I's dotted if we're in that situation where we do actually need to deploy our incident response team and our policy. And everyone knows it's a truism but the more you can plan for those kinds of things in advance the better off it is uh, it may not be perfect but it's at least a starting point at a time when you're really pressed for time let's go back to one area you talked about which is policies and procedures and and, and i think related to that is going to be training since so much of training revolves around training people in the policies and procedures what trends are you seeing yeah, it's a great point. You know, so again, going back to the policies and procedures, all of those policies and procedures do need to have a training component because we can have all um, that we want on policies and, and paper, if you will, but if we're not training our workforce on what those documents say and require, then it only goes so far. So in terms of recent enforcement actions, really the conduct of, of the individual workforce members um, is really a primary cause of many of these breaches. So this is crucial that covered entities and business associates really provide that regular data security and privacy awareness training for all work members. Again, this is great advice across industries and across organizations, but creating a culture kind of from the top down that really increases the uh, awareness of current trends and requirements on behalf of our workforce and what our obligations are. Uh, making sure that our onboarding training 
training properly gets everybody up to speed. I say a minimum of 14 to 30 days. You really need to have those new employees trained, especially those that are handling uh, PHI, making sure that we're documenting attendance, have a training log to make sure that we can um, demonstrate that training um, is extremely important as well. And then of course, again, back to my previous point, these are not one and done activities. If you created a training program and an onboarding program five years ago, it's probably time to look at it again and make sure that we've updated for current threats. Um, we saw a state enforcement action recently um, that required training on a specific topic, anti-phishing. So again, understanding the current threat landscape and doing periodic workforce refreshers, whether it's in a newsletter that you generally send to all your staff, or if there's an all-hands meeting and you can filter in just a reminder about good data security and privacy hygiene practices, that is key to creating this culture um, and training programs that are really help, meant to help that work workforce protect, uh, protection in the back end. And then one other piece, Adam, that I just thought of is really having kind of consequences in place. You know, every policy that I look at, I'm always looking at the violation section. Obviously, we hope people aren't violating our policies, but we do need to have strong teeth. So if you have workforce members that are continuing to fail a phishing attempt or fail certain um, uh, programs that we've deployed, we need to have consequences and sanctions in place pursuant to our other agreements and, and discipline to make sure that it has some teeth behind those policies and procedures. Yeah, because if you don't have teeth, otherwise they're, they're sort of just meaningless. Now, business associate agreements are always an enormous risk area in healthcare. And, you know, frankly, outside of healthcare, there's so many third parties that people depend on these days. It's important that you have good agreements in place with them as well. What are regulators sensitive to these days? Yeah, it's, it's actually a very important topic that we continue to see a lot of attention around. And because of what you mentioned a moment ago, we're relying on more and more vendors as part of our infrastructure because of the lack of available employees and other things. So regulators really have brought multiple enforcement actions against covered entities and business associates for failing to have those vendor agreements in place. So when you're sharing PHI, just to kind of go back to the basics here, when you have a vendor agreement in place and you're sharing PHI, you need to make sure that you're doing the due diligence and have the reasonable uh, minimum necessary protections in place and that you're only giving as much information to those vendors as necessary, right? We don't want to be giving them access to all of our systems, but only the minimum necessary information they need to perform the job that we're asking them to do as one of our vendors. So having a strong management program in place to first and foremost know which vendors are we leveraging? I ask that question a lot and we have to sometimes go back and say, I don't know, we've had a lot of legacy agreements in place over the years. Um, I don't know. So let's create a spreadsheet. Let's understand, go back to the basics and figure out which vendors we're even doing business with. So the covered entities should be able to pretty quickly understand those and identify those vendors that have access to our systems and access to PHI. And then we're going to confirm that we have a business associate agreement in place before we do anything else, before we're sharing PHI, before we're um, disclosing any anything that you first and foremost have that business associate agreement in place. And then again, which is the training question, making sure that those that are responsible for this procurement or for this vendor relationship 
um, are aware of it and aware of the HIPAA obligations and that we've trained them accordingly. And then again, going back to that due diligence, just making sure that we've crossed our T's and dotted our I's, that we uh, have, have done a security questionnaire, um, that we've reviewed their policies of the vendor, they maybe have a certificate of compliance, just so we are auditing their data security and privacy compliance programs to make sure that we have um, those uh, vendor agreements kind of properly buttoned up. And again, to your point, regulators are going to continue to focus on what covered entities have done to audit and ensure that those business associate agreements are in place. Um, there's specific requirements that we, we do this, and that's just an important part of our larger uh, data uh, security and privacy uh, infrastructure. So finally, what should compliance teams be thinking about when it comes to technical requirements? Yeah, this is a really great question that we get asked quite a bit. So I think what I want you to take away is that there's really kind of two types of technical controls, right? Required technical controls and addressable safeguards. You know, I think the conversation had been that we really only need to focus on the required, but really what we're seeing out of regulators is that we also need to focus on those um, addressable technical safeguards as well. So don't just one and done think that because we're looking at the required that that's sufficient. Again, this is part of the larger infrastructure to understand what the back end looks like and the controls that we have in place, because we are seeing OCR and state AGs really issuing fines for compliance um, that have not addressed the addressable technical safeguards as well. And that would be a very bad oversight to have. Well, Kara, thank you so much for sharing these insights with us both in the magazine and here today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.